friends and introverts, welcome back to the You're So Quiet podcast, or welcome if you're joining for the very first time. As always, I am your host, Chelsea Brown. This week, I wanted to get you a little bit of a head start on spooky season. You know that I am obsessed with all things fall, all things Halloween, all things dark and twisty. So, I found a few creepypastas to read to you guys. I actually haven't read these ones, I don't think. Um, In high school, I was obsessed with creepypasta. I was that kid, sorry to say, but it's true. I was obsessed with creepypasta, and I think it's just like a really good way to get in the spooky spirit, especially because October is literally next week. When you listen to this, I will be just getting back from Hawaii, so I am recording this in advance, but we can still get into some some scary stories. But before all that, of course, we're going to do our customary mental health check. As always, you're going to rate your mental health from one to five, one being horrible, five being amazing. I think I'm at about a three today. Um, I have improved from last week. I feel a little better, a little more like myself, and I will tell you a little bit about it in my recommendations coming up here. But yeah, I feel just more like me. I think it's just one of those things that just takes time to get over. And the more time passes, the better I feel. And they say like time heals all wounds. And I think that's true for the most part. But like it won't be true if you don't allow yourself to feel sad when you feel sad or angry when you feel angry. Like you'll just be stuck in those feelings. So I'm glad that I've let myself feel that stuff. And I'm kind of moving on moving on up, you know? Three is not great, but it's middle of the road, so I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Don't forget that this is also your time to check in with yourself, rate your mental health from one to five, one being horrible, five being amazing. You don't have to rate if you don't want, but I personally feel like rating, like assigning a number to how you're feeling is a good way to track whether your mood is trending up or down or stable. And for me, that's actually really important. So yeah, check in with yourself. Always be honest and pause me if you have to, if you need a little bit of extra time. If you don't want to pause me, I will get started with my recommendations. I have three of them. The first one is going to sound like an ad, but it's not. It is Liquid IV and I just started using these little, they're like little powder packets you put in water and you drink them and it's supposed to help you hydrate better. As someone who is new to the antidepressant game, I did not realize that being on an SSRI or SSNRI, I think, SNRI, um, being on those kinds of medicines, such as an antidepressant, makes you more sensitive to heat. Uh, This coming from someone who I prefer to be hot than to be cold. Being cold is like a punishment to me. It's horrible. I hate it. Being hot is fine. Like a 90 degree day, that's actually pretty ideal. 85 to 90 degrees is like the sweet spot for me. If you now were were trending in like the upper hundreds, say upper hundreds, (laughs) like it's 195 degrees, feels like it, but it's not. We're trending toward like 103, which feels like, the feels like temperature is 110. And normally, like this would feel hot to me, but my body would regulate pretty easily. 
now I feel like my body can't regulate the way that it used to. I just feel very hot a lot of the time, which is pretty unusual for me. Again, like my body regulates heat very, very well. Cold, not so much. Heat, definitely. So I started drinking a lot of water and uh, if I was drinking a lot of water, I would just pee more. And I felt like it wasn't actually helping with hydration. So I started drinking these liquid IV things. Again, it's just a little powder packet, goes in a bottle of water, shake it up, drink it. Tastes pretty good, actually. It's not a flavor that I'm going to crave, but it's not a flavor I dread having. Um, and I feel like it really, really helps with staying hydrated to give my body the best chance that it has to regulate itself. And again, I'm probably going to feel hot throughout the day and that's fine, like as I kind of get used to this. But the liquid IV has really, really helped. And I think it's just like balancing your electrolytes. You could probably do the same with like Gatorade or something, but I, I'm not, like I like Gatorade, but it's not something I want to drink every day. I've been drinking a liquid IV almost every day for the past couple weeks and it's been... It's been very, very helpful. I actually feel the difference in how my body feels. So if you are someone who's also on an SSRI, SNRI, and you feel hot all the time, especially with this crazy heat wave we've been having this summer, definitely give Liquid IV a try. I will tell you it's kind of expensive. It's like 12 or $13 for a pack of 10. So it's more than a dollar a piece, but overall, maybe not that expensive. I don't know. It just feels like a lot of money for these little packets, but if they work, they work. So that's my first recommendation for this week. My second recommendation is getting ready even if you have nowhere to go. This is like a depression trick that I learned way back in the day and I've kind of let it go to the wayside. I work from home. I don't really have to go anywhere. Anything I want, I can have delivered. The only place that I actually have to go is around my neighborhood block, and it's so hot that no one's looking outside to see me, as, like, atrocious as I probably look. But today, I kind of felt like I didn't want to be in sweatpants, I didn't want to be in shorts or a big t-shirt, and have my unshaven legs all out. Like, I actually put on an outfit, I washed my hair, took a really nice shower, did all my skincare, did a little bit of makeup, and I feel so much better than I did even when I woke up this morning. When I woke up this morning, I felt better than I have in a little while, but just that little bit of getting ready in the morning is so important sometimes because you can get stuck in this cycle of just putting on your sweatpants and your baggy t-shirt or not even changing your clothes from what you sleep in, and it's just like a whole thing, and it, you can get sucked down into this kind of depression cycle. Now, depression is a mental illness, but it does oftentimes have triggers. So for me, staying in the same clothes that I've worn for three days and not washing my hair, like those are triggers that make me just feel worse than maybe I already do. So washing my hair, making myself feel pretty, like those things seem so insignificant, but they can make a really big difference in how your day goes and your outlook on the day. Do I have a ton of energy today? No. Did getting ready take some of the energy that I have? Yes. But it also made me just feel a little bit better and like maybe I can push myself to do something a little extra today that I have to get done. So yeah, try getting ready even when you feel 
kind of bummy and you don't want to want to get ready, just give it a shot. I actually almost guarantee that it will help you feel a little bit better. And the final thing I'm going to recommend is cleaning your space. Uh, This is something that I want to get started on today. I should have started it early in the week. It is currently almost the end of the week and I have not started. I've not cleaned my house this week. It is house cleaning week. I was supposed to do it starting on Monday. I have not. Um, So that means that like my surroundings kind of reflect what's going on in my head. And when I start to come out of a depression is when I really get started on cleaning. But I still kind of feel like I'm stuck in that little sad era. So I'm going to get started on cleaning my space today. I'm not going to put expectations on how much I have to get done. I'm not going to feel bad if I don't clean the whole first floor, the whole second floor. Like whatever I can get done today is good enough. Even if that means I just vacuum or I just clean the bathrooms or clean one bathroom, like any little progress in cleaning your space is really, really going to help you feel better mentally. And I know this is such a hard thing to do, especially if you're in a really deep, dark, depressive episode. Like this is the hardest thing to get yourself to do because you're like, literally, who cares? Literally, who cares what my house looks like? And you will be surprised how much better you will feel. I promise. If you are unable to, right? I understand being in that depressive episode or maybe you have physical limitations. You can call a cleaning service and maybe hire someone to do this for you because having a clean home, again, is like super important for mental health stability. And my house has gotten kind of out of hand. My dog is shedding like crazy. There's random piles of trash from like mail I haven't sorted and stuff. I'm like, okay, this is this is getting a little ridiculous. So I'm, I'm done with it and I'm going to start cleaning today after I finish this episode and I know I'm going to feel better when I'm done. If nothing else, I can be sad in a clean space and that feels better than being sad in a dirty space. So with all of that being said and all of that behind us, let's get into our creepy spooky episode. I think I have three stories for you and I will just give a disclaimer. I have not read any of these stories, okay? I did not pre-read anything, which could be a little dangerous, (laughs) Um, but I wanted to be as shocked as you if these are really scary. I found a list of like the top rated creepypastas and the no sleep Reddit sub. Um, So I'm going to read them for you guys today and we're going to see... We're going to see if we can sleep tonight. So just a disclaimer again, I do not know what these stories are going to hold. So if you have particular triggers such as the, the first line of this first story does mention drug abuse. So if you, if that's one of your triggers, listen with caution, listen to discretion is advised. If there's something that's triggering you as I'm reading feel free to click away or fast forward a few minutes to the next story. So let's get started. This first one is called No End House. Let me start by saying that Peter Terry was addicted to heroin. We were friends in college and continued to be after I graduated. 
notice that I said I. He dropped out after two years of barely cutting it. After I moved out of the dorms and into a small apartment, I didn't see Peter as much. We would talk online every now and then. AIM was king in pre-Facebook years. There was a period where he wasn't online for about five weeks straight. I wasn't worried. He was a pretty notorious flake and drug addict, so I assumed he just stopped caring. Then one night, I saw him log on. Before I could initiate a conversation, he sent me a message. David, man, we need to talk. That was when he told me about the No End House. It got that name because no one had ever reached the final exit. The rules were pretty simple and cliche. Reach the final room of the building and you win $500. There were nine rooms in all. The house was located outside the city, roughly four miles from my house. Apparently, Peter had tried and failed. He was a heroin and who's, who knows what the F addict, so I figured the drugs got the best of him and he wigged out at a paper ghost or something. Pause. Side note. Um, the author is focusing a little bit too much on the fact that this person is a drug addict and maybe it's like a thing, but addiction is like an illness and I don't know, it's kind of making me feel a little bit weird reading it, so I just wanted to have an aside and say that that's kind of making me a little uncomfortable. Let's get back into it. He told me it would be too much for anyone, that it was unnatural. I didn't believe him. I told him I would check it out the next night, and no matter how hard he tried to convince me otherwise, $500 sounded too good to be true. I had to go. I set out the following night. When I arrived, I immediately noticed something strange about the building. Have you ever seen or read something that shouldn't be scary, but for some reason, a chill crawls up your spine? I walked toward the building and the feeling of uneasiness only intensified as I opened the front door. My heart slowed and I let a relieved sigh leave me as I entered. The room looked like a normal hotel lobby decorated for Halloween. A sign was posted in place of a worker. It read, Room 1 this way, 8 more follow, reach the end and you win. I chuckled and made my way to the first door. The first area was almost laughable. The decor resembled the Halloween aisle of a Kmart, complete with sheet ghosts and animatronic zombies that gave a static growl when you passed by. At the far end was an exit. It was the only door besides the one I entered through. I brushed through the fake spider webs and headed for the second room. I was greeted by fog as I opened the door to room two. The room definitely upped the ante in terms of technology. Not only was there a fog machine, but a bat hung from the ceiling and flew in a circle. Scary. They seemed to have a Halloween soundtrack that one would find in a 99 cent store on a loop somewhere in the room. I didn't see a stereo, but I guessed they must have used a PA system. I stepped over a few toy rats that wheeled around and walked with a puffed chest across to the next area. I reached for the doorknob and my heart sank to my knees. I did not want to open that door. A feeling of dread hit me so hard I could barely think. Logic overtook me after a few terrified moments, and I shook it off and entered the next room. Room three is when things began to change. On the surface, it looked like a normal room. There was a chair in the middle of the wood-paneled floor. A single lamp in the corner did a poor job of lighting the area, casting a few shadows across the floors and walls. That was the problem. Shadows. Plural. With the exception of the chairs, there were others. 
I had barely walked in the door and I was already terrified. It was at that moment that I knew something wasn't right. I didn't even think as I automatically tried to open the door I came through. It was locked from the other side. That set me off. Was someone locking the doors as I progressed? There was no way. I would have heard them. Was it a mechanical lock that set automatically? Maybe. But I was too scared to really think. I turned back to the room and the shadows were gone. The chair's shadow remained, but the others were gone. I slowly began to walk. I used to hallucinate when I was a kid, so I wrote off the shadows as a figment of my imagination. I began to feel better as I made it to the halfway point of the room. I looked down as I took my steps, and that's when I saw it. Or didn't see it. My shadow wasn't there. I didn't have time to scream. I ran as fast as I could to the other door and flung myself without thinking into the room beyond. The fourth room was possibly the most disturbing. As I closed the door, all light seemed to be sucked out and put back into the previous room. I stood there, surrounded by darkness, not able to move. I'm not afraid of the dark, and I have never been, but I was absolutely terrified. All sight had left me. I held my hand in front of my face, and if I didn't know what I was doing, I wouldn't have been able to tell. Darkness doesn't describe it. I couldn't hear anything. It was dead silence. When you're in a soundproof room, you can still hear yourself breathing. You can still hear yourself being alive. I couldn't. I began to stumble forward after a few moments, my rapidly beating heart the only thing I could feel. There was no door in sight. Wasn't even sure there was one this time. The silence was then broken by a low hum. I felt something behind me. I spun around wildly but could barely even see my nose. I knew it was there though. Regardless of how dark it was, I knew something was there. The hum grew louder, closer. It seemed to surround me, but I knew whatever was causing the noise was in front of me, inching closer. I took a step back. I had never felt that kind of fear. I can't really describe true fear. I wasn't even scared I was going to die. I was scared of what the alternative was. I was afraid of what this thing had in store for me. Then the lights flashed for a second and I saw it. Nothing. I saw nothing and I know I saw nothing there. The room was again plunged into darkness and the hum became a wild screech. I screamed in protest. I couldn't hear this sound for another minute. I ran backwards, away from the noise, and fumbled for the door handle. I turned and fell into room five. Before I describe room five, you have to understand something. I am not a drug addict. I have had no history of drug abuse or any sort of psychosis short of the childhood hallucinations I mentioned earlier, and those were only when I was really tired or just waking up. I entered the no-end house with a clear head. After falling in from the previous room, my view of room five was from my back looking up at the ceiling. What I saw didn't scare me, it simply surprised me. Trees had grown into the room and towered over my head. The ceilings in this room were taller than the others, which made me think that I was in the center of the house. I got up off the floor, dusted myself off, and took a look around. It was definitely the biggest room of them all. I couldn't even see the door from where I was. Various brush and trees must have blocked my line of sight with the exit. Up to this point, I figured the rooms were going to get scarier, but this was a paradise compared to the last room. I also assumed whatever was in room 4 stayed back there. 
I was incredibly wrong. As I made my way deeper into the room, I began to hear what one would hear if they were in a forest. Chirping bugs and the occasional flap of birds seemed to be my only company in this room. That was the thing that bothered me the most. I heard the bugs and other animals, but I didn't see any of them. I began to wonder how big this house was. From the outside, when I first walked up to it, it looked like a regular house. It was definitely on the bigger side, but this was almost a full forest in here. The canopy covered my view of the ceiling, but I assumed it was still there, however high it was. I couldn't see any walls either. The only way I knew I was still inside was that the floor matched the other rooms, the standard dark wood paneling. I kept walking, hoping that the next tree I passed would reveal the door. After a few moments of walking, I felt a mosquito fly onto my arm. I shook it off and kept going. A second later, I felt about ten more land on my skin at different places. I felt them crawl up and down my arms and legs and a few made their way across my face. I flailed wildly to get them all off, but they just kept crawling. I looked down and let out a muffled scream, more of a whimper, to be honest. I didn't see a single bug. Not one bug was on me, but I could feel them crawl. I heard them fly by my face and sting my skin, but I couldn't see a single one. I dropped to the ground and began to roll wildly. I was desperate. I hated bugs, especially ones I couldn't see or touch, but these bugs could touch me and they were everywhere. I began to crawl. I had no idea where I was going. The entrance was nowhere in sight and I still haven't even seen the exit. So I just crawled, my skin wriggling with the presence of those phantom bugs. After what seemed like hours, I found the door. I grabbed the nearest tree and propped myself up, mindlessly slapping my arms and legs to no avail. I tried to run, but I couldn't. My body was exhausted from crawling and dealing with whatever it was that was on me. I took a few shaky steps to the door, grabbing each tree on the way for support. It was only a few feet away when I heard it. The low hum from before. It was coming from the next room and it was deeper. I could almost feel it inside my body, like when you stand next to an amp at a concert. The feeling of the bugs on me lessened as the hum grew louder. As I placed my hand on the doorknob, the bugs were completely gone, but I couldn't bring myself to turn the knob. I knew that if I let go, the bugs would return and there was no way I would make it back to room four. I just stood there, my head pressed against the door marked six and my hand shakily grasping the knob. The hum was so loud I couldn't even hear myself pretend to think. There was nothing I could do but move on. Room six was next, and room six was hell. I closed the door behind me, my eyes held shut and my ears ringing. The hum was surrounding me. As the door clicked into place, the hum was gone. I opened my eyes in surprise and the door I had shut was gone. It was just a wall now. I looked around in shock. The room was identical to room three, the same chair and lamp, but with the correct amount of shadows this time. The only real difference was that there was no exit door, and the one I came through was gone. As I said before, I had no previous issues in terms of mental instability, but at that moment, I fell into what I now know was insanity. I didn't scream. I didn't make a sound. At first, I scratched softly. The wall was tough, but I knew the door was there somewhere. I just knew it was. I scratched at where the doorknob was. I clawed at the wall frantically with both hands, my nails being filed down to the skin against the wood. I fell silently to my knees, the only sound in the room, the incessant scratching against the wall. 
I knew it was there. The door was there. I just knew it was there. I knew if I could just get past this wall. Are you alright? I jumped off the ground and spun in one motion. I leaned against the wall behind me and I saw what it was that spoke to me. To this day, I regret ever turning around. There was a little girl. She was wearing a soft white dress that went down to her ankles. She had long blonde hair to the middle of her back and white skin and blue eyes. She was the most frightening thing I had ever seen and I know that nothing in my life will ever be as unnerving as what I saw in her. While looking at her, I saw something else. Where she stood, I saw what looked like a man's body, only larger than normal and covered in hair. He was naked from head to toe, but his head was not human, and his toes were hooves. It wasn't the devil, but at that moment, it might as well have been. The form had the head of a ram and the snout of a wolf. It was horrifying, and it was synonymous with the girl in front of me. They were the same form. I can't really describe it, but I saw them at the same time. They shared the same spot in that room, but it was like looking at two separate dimensions. When I saw the girl, I saw the form, and when I saw the form, I saw the girl. I couldn't speak. I could barely even see. My mind was revolting against what it was attempting to process. I had been scared before in my life, and I had never been more scared than when I was trapped in the fourth room, but that was before room six. I just stood there, staring at whatever it was that spoke to me. There was no exit. I was trapped here with it. And then it spoke again. David, you should have listened. When it spoke, I heard the words of the little girl, but the other form spoke through my mind in a voice I won't attempt to describe. There was no other sound. The voice just kept repeating that sentence over and over in my mind, and I agreed. I didn't know what to do. I was slipping into madness, yet I couldn't take my eyes off of what was in front of me. I dropped to the floor. I thought I had passed out, but the room wouldn't let me. I just wanted it to end. I was on my side, my eyes wide open and the form staring down at me. Scurrying across the floor in front of me was one of the battery-powered rats from the second room. The house was toying with me. But for some reason, seeing that rat pulled my mind back from whatever depths it was headed, and I looked around the room. I was getting out of there. I was determined to get out of that house and live and never think about this place again. I knew this room was hell and I wasn't ready to take up a residency. At first, it was just my eyes that moved. I searched the walls for any kind of opening. The room wasn't that big, so it didn't take long to soak up the entire layout. The demon still taunted me, the voice growing louder as the form stayed rooted where it stood. I placed my hand on the floor, lifted myself up to all fours, and turned to scan the wall behind me. Then I saw something I couldn't believe. The form was now right at my back, whispering into my mind how I shouldn't have come. I felt its breath on the back of my neck, but I refused to turn around. A large rectangle was scratched into the wood with a small dent chipped away in the center of it. Right in front of my eyes, I saw the large seven I had mindlessly etched into the wall. I knew what it was. Room seven was just beyond that wall where room five was moments ago. I don't know how I had done it. Maybe it was just my state of mind at the time, but I had created the door. I knew I had. In my madness, I had scratched into the wall what I needed the most, an exit to the next room. Room seven was close. I knew the demon was right behind me, but for some reason it couldn't touch me. 
I closed my eyes and placed both hands on the large seven in front of me. I pushed. I pushed as hard as I could. The demon was now screaming in my ear. It told me I was never leaving. It told me that this was the end, but I wasn't going to die. I was going to live there in room six with it. I wasn't. I pushed and screamed at the top of my lungs. I knew I was going to push through the wall eventually. I clenched my eyes shut and screamed and the demon was gone. I was left in silence. I turned around slowly and was greeted by the room as it was when I had entered. Just a chair and a lamp. I couldn't believe it, but I didn't have time to dwell. I turned back to the seven and jumped back slightly. What I saw was a door. It wasn't the one I had scratched in, but a regular door with a large seven on it. My whole body was shaking. It took me a while to turn the knob. I just stood there for a while, staring at the door. I couldn't stay in room six, I couldn't. But if this was only room six, I couldn't imagine what seven had in store. I must have stood there for an hour, just staring at the seven. Finally, with a deep breath, I twisted the knob and opened the door to room seven. I stumbled through the door mentally exhausted and physically weak. The door behind me closed and I realized where I was. I was outside. Not like room five, but actually outside. My eyes stung. I wanted to cry. I fell to my knees and tried, but I couldn't. I was finally out of that hell. I didn't even care about the prize that was promised. I turned and saw the door I had just went through was the entrance. I walked to my car and drove home, thinking how nice a shower sounded. As I pulled up to my house, I felt uneasy. The joy of leaving No End House had faded, and dread was slowly building in my stomach. I shook it off as residual from the house and made my way to the front door. I entered and immediately went up to my room. There on my bed was my cat, Baskerville. He was the first living thing I had seen all night and I reached to pet him. He hissed and swiped at my hand. I recoiled in shock, as he had never acted like that. I thought, whatever, he's an old cat. I jumped into the shower and got ready for what I was expecting to be a sleepless night. After my shower, I went to the kitchen to make something to eat. I descended the stairs and turned into the family room. What I saw would be forever burned into my mind, however. My parents were lying on the ground, naked and covered in blood. They were mutilated to near unidentifiable states. Their limbs were removed and placed next to their bodies, and their heads were placed on their chests facing me. The most unsettling part was their expressions. They were smiling, as though they were happy to see me. I vomited and sobbed there in the family room. I didn't know what had happened. They didn't even live with me at the time. I was a mess. Then I saw it. A door that was never there before. A door with a large eight scrawled in blood. I was still in the house. I was standing in my family room, but I was in room seven. The faces of my parents smiled wider as I realized this. They weren't my parents. They couldn't be, but they looked exactly like them. The door marked eight was across the room, behind the mutilated bodies in front of me. I knew I had to move on, but at that moment, I gave up. The smiling faces tore into my mind. They grounded me where I stood. I vomited again and nearly collapsed. Then, the hum returned. It was louder than ever, and it filled the house and shook the walls. The hum compelled me to walk. I began to walk slowly, making my way closer to the door and the bodies. I could barely stand, let alone walk, and the closer I got to my parents, the closer I came to suicide. The walls were now shaking so hard it seemed as though they were going to crumble, but the faces smiled at me. As I inched closer, their eyes followed me. I was now between the two bodies, a few feet away from the door. 
The dismembered hands clawed their way across the carpet toward me, all while the faces continued to stare. New terror washed over me and I walked faster. I didn't want to hear them speak. I didn't want the voices to match those of my parents. They began to open their mouths and the hands were inches from my feet. In a dash of desperation, I lunged toward the door, threw it open, and slammed it behind me. Room 8. I was done. After what I had just experienced, I knew there wasn't anything else this house could throw at me that I couldn't live through. There was nothing short of the fires of hell that I wasn't ready for. Unfortunately, I underestimated the abilities of No End House. Unfortunately, things got more disturbing, more terrifying, and more unspeakable in Room 8. I still have trouble believing what I saw in Room 8. Again, the room was a carbon copy of Rooms 3 and 6, but sitting in the usually empty chair was a man. After a few seconds of disbelief, my mind finally accepted that the man sitting in the chair was me. Not someone who looked like me, it was David Williams. I walked closer. I had to get a better look, even though I was sure of it. He looked up at me, and I noticed tears in his eyes. Please, please don't do it. Please don't hurt me. What? I asked. Who are you? I'm not going to hurt you. Yes, you are. He was sobbing now. You're going to hurt me, and I don't want you to. He sat in the chair with his legs up and began rocking back and forth. It was actually pretty pathetic looking, especially since he was me, identical in every way. Listen, who are you? I was now only a few feet from my doppelganger. It was the weirdest experience yet, standing there talking to myself. I wasn't scared, but I would be soon. Why are you- You're going to hurt me, you're going to hurt me, if you want to leave, you're going to hurt me. Why are you saying this? Just calm down, alright? Let's try and figure this- And then I saw it. The David sitting down was wearing the same clothes as me, except for a small red patch on his shirt embroidered with the number 9. You're going to hurt me, you're going to hurt me, don't please, you're going to hurt me. My eyes didn't leave that small number on his chest. I knew exactly what it was. The first few doors were plain and simple, but after a while they got a little more ambiguous. Seven was scratched into the wall, but by my own hands. Eight was marked in blood above the bodies of my parents, but nine... This number was on a person, a living person. Worse still, it was on a person that looked exactly like me. David? I had to ask. Yes, you're going to hurt me, you're going to hurt me. He continued to sob and rock. He answered to David. He was me, right down to the voice. But that nine. I paced around for a few minutes while he sobbed in the chair. The room had no door, and similarly to room six, the door I came through was gone. For some reason, I assumed that scratching would get me nowhere this time. I studied the walls and floor around the chair, sticking my head underneath and seeing if anything was below. Unfortunately, there was. Below the chair was a knife. Attached was a tag that read, To David, from Management. The feeling in my stomach as I read that tag was something sinister. I wanted to throw up, and the last thing I wanted to do was remove that knife from under that chair. The other David was still sobbing uncontrollably. My mind was spinning into an attic of unanswerable questions. Who put this here, and how did they get my name? Not to mention the fact that as I knelt on the cold wood floor, I also sat in the chair, sobbing in protest of being hurt by myself. It was all too much to process. The house and the management had been playing with me this whole time. My thoughts for some reason turned to Peter, whether or not he had got this far. If he did, he met a Peter Terry sobbing in this very chair, rocking back and forth. I shook those thoughts out of my head. They didn't matter. 
I took the knife from under the chair, and immediately the other David went quiet. David, he said in my voice, what do you think you're going to do? I lifted myself from the ground and clenched the knife in my hand. I'm going to get out of here. David was still sitting in the chair, though he was very calm now. He looked up at me with a slight grin. I couldn't tell if he was going to laugh or strangle me. Slowly, he got up from the chair and stood facing me. It was uncanny. His height and even the way he stood matched mine. I felt the rubber hilt of the knife in my hand and gripped it tighter. I don't know what I was planning on doing with it, but I had a feeling I was going to need it. Now, his voice was slightly deeper than my own. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to keep you here. I didn't respond. I just lunged and tackled him to the ground. I had mounted him and looked down, knife poised and ready. He looked up at me, terrified. It was like I was looking in a mirror. Then the hum returned, low and distant, though I still felt it deep in my body. David looked up at me as I looked down at myself. The hum was getting louder and I felt something inside me snap. With one motion, I slammed the knife into the patch on his chest and ripped down. Blackness fell on the room and I was falling. The darkness around me was like nothing I had experienced up to that point. Room 4 was dark, but it didn't come close to what was completely engulfing me. I wasn't even sure if I was falling after a while. I felt weightless, covered in dark. Then a deep sadness came over me. I felt lost and depressed. The sight of my parents entered my mind. I knew it wasn't real, but I had seen it, and the mind has trouble differentiating between what is real and what isn't. The sadness only deepened. I was in room 9 for what seemed like days, the final room, and that's exactly what it was, the end. No end house had an end, and I had reached it. At that moment, I gave up. I knew I would be in that in-between state forever, accompanied by nothing but darkness. Not even the hum was there to keep me sane. I had lost all senses. I couldn't feel myself. I couldn't hear anything. Sight was completely useless here. I searched for a taste in my mouth and found nothing. I felt disembodied and completely lost. I knew where I was. This was hell. Room 9 was hell. Then it happened. A light. One of those stereotypical lights at the end of the tunnel. I felt ground come up from below me and I was standing. After a moment or two of gathering my thoughts and senses, I slowly walked toward that light. As I approached the light, it took form. It was a vertical slit down the side of an unmarked door. I slowly walked through the door and found myself back where I started the lobby of No End House. It was exactly how I had left it, still empty, still decorated with childish Halloween decorations. After everything that had happened that night, I was still wary of where I was. After a few moments of normalcy, I looked around the place trying to find anything different. On the desk was a plain white envelope with my name handwritten on it. Immensely curious, yet still cautious, I mustered up the courage to open the envelope. Inside was a letter, again handwritten. David Williams, congratulations, you have made it to the end of No End House. Please accept this prize as a token of great achievement. Yours forever, management. With the letter were five $100 bills. I couldn't stop laughing. I laughed for what seemed like hours. I laughed as I walked out to my car and I laughed as I drove home. I laughed as I pulled into my driveway. I laughed as I opened my front door to my house. And I laughed as I saw the small ten etched into the wood. Okay, um, first of all, that story was crazy long. I did not realize, how many, okay, it was 10 pages, so I should have known better, but, um, that story was pretty intense. I don't know about you, some of it was, like, a little, 
a little triggery, um, particularly with the gore mentioned. They had some pretty disturbing images. Um, and just the, the description of being terrified. I hope that my reading voice helped you, you know, get into the story a little bit. I do have two other stories, but I feel like, I feel like No End House was the one I'm going to leave you with. And I'm going to do that because I just wanted to give you a little bit of a taster and I want to give you something for like nightmare fuel tonight. I will be doing a scary story episode further on in October. I might actually do it on Halloween, save it for like the actual night. But yeah, I'm going to leave you with No End House only. It felt like nine different stories in one. I love a good cliffhanger ending, as you know. I mean, he got $500, but at what cost? And I I can't even tell you how I would not do this. Not even close. And it's not like, ooh, hypothetical in this, like, hypothetical universe. There's this haunted house. I don't even remember where it is. I want to say Texas because it's, like, the wild, wild west down here and you can do anything. But there's this, like, haunted house, and you spend the night there, and you have to sign a waiver, and you have to do, like, a health check and everything to make sure that you're not going to literally have a heart attack. The actors can touch you, they can torture you, they can do all kinds of stuff to you, and you pay for this. Like, you don't even get a prize at the end. You pay to have this done, and... I knew someone once. I was like, oh my gosh, do you want to do this with me? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. First of all, I think if we can get a little bit existential with No End House, I think door number 10 is the mental health implications that are going to come as a result of what you have just seen and been through. And so I feel that if I were to do this like real life haunted house where people could touch me and torture me, I feel like I would also have a door number 10 that's going to force me to have to deal with this mental instability that I'm just inviting into my life for no reason. Side note, the narrator was like, I did stop for an aside on this early on. He was like really hammering in that his friend was a drug addict and again, like addiction is an illness and... I didn't particularly like that tone and especially the fact that he's like, oh, this dude over here that I look down on can't do it, but I can do it. Like, I'm not an addict. Like, that was just a little bit, almost soured the story for me at the beginning because, I don't know, it just felt kind of gross. I do think this story is like 10 years old, but I don't know that that makes much of a difference other than we just have more of an understanding of addiction now than we did 10 years ago or 12 years ago or however old the story is. But yeah, uh, it, it, it was a bit much. It was a bit much. It was crazy long. So I hope you've stuck around till, till now. And I don't know about you, but I, I want to get out of this dark room now. <laughs> and I want to go be in the sunlight with other people and try to forget this before I go to sleep tonight. So on that note, I hope this brought you into spooky season and October in an appropriately scary way. Hopefully not too many nightmares, but maybe just a couple, you know, to keep it spicy. 
If you're feeling particularly generous, you can always leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and you can subscribe to the show on Spotify as well. Probably other platforms as well, but those are the two that I am familiar with. If you're not already, you can follow the podcast Instagram and TikTok at your so quiet pod, Y-O-U-R-E, so quiet pod. And I will talk to you all next week with our first October episode. Okay, love you. Bye.